Happy New Year, friends, and welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. My name is Danny. And I'm Connie. The author of Hebrews writes that our hope in Jesus Christ is a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. So come and join us and let us celebrate this journey with Christ. Come on in. The first reading is from 1 Corinthians 9, 16 to 23. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson is from the Gospel of Mark, where we have been focused in the last several weeks, still in chapter 1. As we have talked about in prior Sundays, Mark's Gospel is condensed. Often he tells stories in just a couple of verses that other Gospels will expand into more fuller stories. So we're jumping from uh, where we stopped last week right into the next Place. We are in chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. Listen for the word of the Lord. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, He got up and went out into a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. 
And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we pick up right where we left off last week. Jesus had just begun his ministry, had just called the disciples, had just been tempted in the wilderness, had just been baptized. And so we're still very early in Jesus's ministry. Again, last week, he had healed. He was in the, in the synagogue. So there's one temple, remember, one temple in Jerusalem, and then the smaller local synagogues, kind of like local churches. Jesus starts there. And remember, we're, we're way up north, the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. That's where Jesus starts his ministry. And so he begins in the synagogue and he teaches. And in the midst of that, there's a man with an unclean spirit. And Jesus doesn't even engage this spirit. He says, be quiet and come out of him. That's it. And he does. And today we pick right up. And from the synagogue, as our story begins, we go to the four who have been called so far, the two sets of brothers, Andrew and Simon, who will, be, will become Peter, Jesus will change his name, and then James and John, sons of Zebedee, all fisher people. So now they come to Andrew and Simon's house, from sanctuary to home, and here, Simon's mother-in-law is ill, has a high fever. I think she had the COVID. And they're worried about her. And as Vicky alluded to, he takes her by the hand, all kinds of cultural no-nos and taboos, a sick woman on the Sabbath, Jesus breaking commandments and Torah law takes her by the hand and lifts her up. The same verb that later in Mark 16, 6, when they talk about Jesus' resurrection, it's the same verb used here when it says he lifts her up. And what does she do? She serves him and them. And you can look at this a couple of different ways. Either it's her thank you, makes them a fantastic meal there. But the same Greek word there, diakonos, that we use for our deacons, those who serve and care for others, is used in response to her and what she does. So it may very well be that it's not just the meal that she serves, it could very well mean that she has decided to follow Christ, to serve him in ways that go beyond a meal. Some commentaries I read went as far as to say this was the first Christian in Mark's gospel because she responds to what Christ does for her and she then gives her life to then follow and serve Christ. So very quickly, we have those two pieces for us. She was in the presence of Christ, 
Christ healed her and she served him. And for that to mean something to us, it means that we have to realize that Christ has been in our life. Too often, I think we just don't think about it. Or we're afraid because we'll realize, well, God really doesn't love me enough to have inserted God's self into my life, either in the past, present, maybe the future. I've never had that billboard moment where it says, Mary, follow me. Scouts, follow me. And so we think that God hasn't been present. But I think when we look back over our lives and we can identify those God moments, if we want to call them conversion moments, that's fine. But conversion happens in a variety of ways. It can be in that moment where you know the time and the place and you felt change forever. Hallelujah. Absolutely valid. It can also be in the way of looking back and you had some moments that you can't quite put your finger on that might have been some presence of God. Or you look back and you think, well, gosh, the Spirit was with me. Look at my life. How could I have gotten here had it not been for the presence of God in my life? And that doesn't mean everything's rosy. We know that. Being a Christian doesn't mean life is easier. If we're doing it right, it makes it harder because we're swimming upstream from culture. But identifying Christ in our life and how God, the Holy Spirit, has been at work is essential. Because why do you respond to nothing that has happened to you? Well, you don't. Okay. I come to church, I learn, I think. But for us to truly respond as this woman did to serve Christ, it means we have to look for those moments where we have been in the presence of Christ. And Christ has been noticeable in our lives. God is with you whether you know it or not, but often we don't because we're afraid of all that comes with it. Oh, was that God? Oh boy, what does that mean? Oh, well, God's real. Oh boy, what does that mean? Oh gosh, now I have to do stuff. I have to serve God like this woman served and I don't, you know, I'm comfortable in my change for the things that aren't going well and I don't want to really change my life because that might mean giving up some of this and some of that and I'm not sure what that means. And in doing so, we rob ourselves of this life that God has given us so full of meaning and opportunity and joy and service and challenge. So don't be afraid to look back over your life and identify those moments. And if you can't, come, come talk to us. It's part of what we do. We need to be more articulate about our own faith if we have a shot of either sharing it with others or just responding as this woman did. Jesus healed her. She responded by serving and following. So it's crucial that we stop and we do some reflection. And maybe it happened in a group. Maybe it was a Bible study. Maybe it was a time where we were serving others in a mission capacity. Maybe it was on a camp out around the fire while you're fishing. They were fishermen, you know. We are fisher people. That was two weeks ago. So I challenge you to stop and to look back over your life and make sure there are 
some opportunities to say, yes, God has blessed me. God has blessed my family. Christ, the Holy Spirit, has been with me. I don't necessarily feel it every day. It doesn't mean I don't have doubts and fears, but somehow I know God is with me, and I feel it sometimes more than others, but God is there even in dark, lonely, and suffering moments. And if that's the case, friends, then we know that God has something special in mind for us as individuals, as a church, as a body of Christ, as the human race. And this is what Peter's mother-in-law helps us with today. So the next part of this. Jesus goes and... So, and again, that's on the Sabbath, which was a big no-no. You don't do anything on the Sabbath. But he healed and she served on the Sabbath. I guess she figured Jesus would cover her if she was in the wrong. So then the Sabbath comes, that is the evening, Saturday evening, and they must have heard because all of them, the whole town comes to their little house. It says all of them at the front door. Many need to be healed, many have demons, they say. We've talked about that some in the past weeks. I think some of that is mental illness and physical conditions that weren't understood at the time, but I also think that evil is real in the world, and so I'm not ruling out that demons are demons. So they're all there, and Jesus heals them, every one of them. And in the morning, he goes off to be by himself. And they can't find him. Where, where'd he go? Well, I didn't see him. Did you see him? I didn't see him. Was he at breakfast? I didn't see him. Still dark, still before sunrise. So Jesus goes out to spend time, a little alone time with God, to recharge, to refresh, to refocus himself on the mission he is called to. And then they come and say, where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. Could that sum up our Christian journey and the world? Where are you, Jesus? Everybody's looking for you, including me. In New Orleans, they might say, Jesus, where yet? But Jesus says, okay. He doesn't rebuke the disciples when they come looking for him. He says, okay, let's go. But you would guess that there are more who are now piling up around the house to be more, uh, more, more people to be healed, those in the town, cities, and villages around. The word is getting around, but Jesus doesn't go to them. Jesus doesn't heal everybody in every place that he goes. He doesn't take care of everybody, doesn't give a blanket healing. It's those people that he comes into contact with directly whose life he alters. Same with us also. God puts people in our lives that we have an opportunity to reach out and to lift up the same way he did in an intimate way with Peter's mother-in-law. Who has God placed in your path that you might have a word of faith, of support, of love? Whether or not you say, Jesus Christ. 
something else to be on the lookout for. You see people every day that we choose not to interact with or engage with or situations, but maybe they're there because you are there or maybe God sent you there because there's a situation for you to safely become involved with or a person to at least have a conversation with. Because Jesus comes and starts in the synagogues, but he doesn't stay there. Wouldn't it have been more efficient for Jesus just to stay there and say, everybody come to me? Then the word would get out. Synagogue is a bigger meeting space. Why couldn't he have just sat and waited for all to come to him as the word spread? That's often how we look at ministry. We want others to come to us instead of us going out. And the mix that Jesus tells us is both. Yes, he preached and he taught in the synagogue. Absolute mandate for us. But then he goes out to where the people are. And that's harder for us. He goes from town to town, village to village, teaching and preaching. And what is it that he says? He reinforces his mission and says, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message for that is what I came out to do. And he went through Galilee proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. Proclaiming and healing. Casting out these demons is another sense that not just be made well, well is another word for wholeness, being made whole. Christ is touching people and amazing things are happening. Proclaiming the message. Now, we often think of that as preaching, but that often, I think, gets too localized to the job of a pastor. But proclamation is different. We all have the opportunity to proclaim the Word of God to the world. In worship, how do we proclaim God's Word outside of Scripture being read and me talking? How else in our service do we proclaim? Singing, right. Those are words of faith. They are proclaiming in the songs and these anthems and this beautiful sacred music that's being lifted up. How else? Apostles' Creed writes statements of belief that says what we believe as a people who follow Christ. Proclamation. What else? I'm sorry? Just being here. Absolutely. It is a proclamation of what you believe. Now, maybe some of you are not here of your own volition or free will. Perhaps a parent, a grandparent, nay, even a spouse has said, oh, you're going to church. But being here is a statement of faith. Absolutely right, Tom. Everything that we do, our actions proclaim what we believe or what we don't. Lack of action would put us in the same line as the woman who was healed, Peter's mother-in-law. She would have been healed, and then she would have said, thanks, I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to go out back. I've got stuff to do. I've got a meeting. And then never responded to what has been done for her, her own healing. 
So our response is crucial, that we are proclaiming the Word of God, the resurrected Christ, that joy for the world, because doggone it, we know the world needs it. We need it. So then how do we heal like they healed? What does that look like? Well, today's the Super Bowl, so I'm going to use... Uh, I'll use a Super Bowl illustration. There's a young man on the Kansas City Chiefs who was one of the teams in the Super Bowl today. His name is Laurent Duvernay Tardif. Thank you. That's right. Sounds like a Key and, P, Key and Peel skit on college names, comedy skit. Laurent, Laurent Duvernay Tardif. I have to, I can't, I just have to read it. I'm sorry. This is Laurent. He's from Canada. Uh, drafted in 2014. Last year, as you know, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years. They're returning this year. But last year, that is him lifting the Lombardi Trophy, his first Super Bowl. Now, the other interesting thing, next picture, please, is that Laurent also is a doctor. You may have heard this. I heard this on uh, our local ESPN sports uh, affiliate radio station this week. thought it was a great story. This is him graduating from med school. So he holds a doctorate, but not yet. He hasn't yet gone through his um, rotations and specialties, so he doesn't have a license to practice. But last year, before the Chiefs started their, uh, or this year, before they started the season, Think about where we were a year ago, first week in February. We heard about this COVID thing, but we didn't really understand quite yet. It would be the next month in March when things would explode, but he knew being in the medical community. And so he talked to Andy Reid, the coach, and the Chiefs, and he said, I'm going to opt out this week or this year, this season, if you will allow. The Chiefs were supportive of him in this move. He felt like it was his job as someone who was trained in the medical field to go help with this emerging virus. So went back home, said, how, do, how can I be helpful? And so for that year, giving up his $2.7 million paycheck last year, giving up his team that is in the Super Bowl today, that would have been him had he not given that up to go clean diapers of patients, to go swab, to go hold the hands of those who are dying, to go mask up, to go seek to heal others. Now, did he touch them by the hand, tell them in Jesus' name, you were healed and raise them up and they were all healed? No, he didn't do that. But we all have the power to heal in a variety of ways. And he was gifted, used his skill to be able to heal others and say, you know what, that's more important than me being on this team that had a good chance to get to the Super Bowl again, to take this huge salary. I'm going to opt to live in a little apartment and serve in whatever capacity they can. So if you're not a doctor and you're not an NBA player, NFL player, 
How then can you heal? Well, we go back to that which, who did Jesus heal? Those he came into contact with every day. He was empowered by the Spirit of God. He took a little bit of time here and there to reconnect with God. And my goodness, the whole sermon could just be about that. But today, friends, I want us to think about going to the people in our village and healing them in the way that we have been called. We have that power, not to snap our fingers, not to come up on TV and make a big show, but in some way to help the people that God places in our path. Many times that's each other, but many times it's people outside of these walls. So let us seek to take the advantage, the example of the woman who was healed, and because she was in Christ's presence, she served. First, we have to identify Christ in our lives to then respond. We can do that. Let's do that together. And then just like Jesus did, he left the synagogue and went into the towns. We need to go out and do our best to heal our townspeople in Jesus' name as they seek to heal us in his we can do that in the ways that we have been called. So let's do that on this Super Bowl Sunday. For there are many who need to be healed, and we have the power to do that. In Christ's name, let us go and appropriately and affectionately heal and reach out our arms and hands as others reach out to us. Hallelujah. Amen.